0: Thank you so much, to Nick and the team, for blessing us and encouraging us this morning and leading us to in worship. It's always a pleasure to come and preach after you've worshipped uh, in that way. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're carrying on in our series called Contending for the Gospel. And we're considering this morning the biblical pattern for the church, particularly looking at the office of elder. I must start by saying that this is a challenging text. Someone has said this, to preach, to really preach, is to die naked a little at a time. And what that means is is to preach is to expose yourself to your own failures, your own shortcomings. And dear church, that's certainly true of me this morning. Having looked at this passage again and studied and reflected upon it, I can come to the inescapable conclusion that I fall woefully short of what God's desire is for an elder. And so I'm glad she's, I know she's listening online, but I'm glad my wife isn't here, uh, because she would tell you exactly how far I fall short in this list. But with that said, I'm still thankful for this passage, because it's led me to again seek the Lord in confession, and ask Him to realign me again to His will. And I trust that this message will help you, to realign yourself with him, whether you're an elder, an aspiring elder, or a church member, this passage should encourage us to align ourselves again to God's will for us. And so with that in mind, let's read this passage and then consider what God has to say to us. This is God's word here at first Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. The saying is trustworthy. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Only so far in the reading of God's word may reform our lives to its truth. I'm sure you would agree that as go the leaders, so goes the people. Uh, we know this quite well, don't we, in this country? We look at our corrupt government and we see that it has produced a broken and shattered society. As go the leaders, so go the The people, we see this even in the Bible. You look at all the godly leaders in the kingdom, ungodly leaders in the Old Testament, and they lead the nation with them into ungodliness. As go the leaders, so go the people. And if that is true of life in general and true of the scriptures, as we see in the scriptures, then how much more so is this not true for the church much more is this not applicable to us? Remember the context of First Timothy. First Timothy is written to a church that's been infiltrated by fierce wolves, by false teachers that don't care for the flock of God but use and abuse the flock of God. False teachers that were consumed with speculation over the law instead of stewardship of the faith. False teachers that were were teaching their own doctrines rather than the Christ-exalting gospel. Teachers who were craving uh, their own material prosperity rather than caring for the needs of others. False teachers that were sowing cords of disunity and tension rather than building up the body of Christ in unity and love. See, the false teachers in Ephesus were de the church. The church, which is meant to be a pillar and buttress of the truth, which is meant to display the beauty of the gospel, was being defiled and disfigured by these devilish leaders. And and so realize, one of the ways in which we contend for the gospel is by ensuring that the church has godly, upright leaders whose doctrine and life is adorned with the gospel. And, And dear friends, that's why this passage matters to every single one of us. You might have been sitting there thinking to yourself, well, I'm not an elder. I don't aspire to be an elder. I won't be an elder. And so you might think to yourself, why must I care about this passage? Well, dear friend, dear church of God, you should care about this passage because you need to know what godly leaders look like. Why? So that you can choose godly leaders in the church. So that you can train up and disciple godly leaders from within the church. And so that you can rightly follow and listen to godly leaders whom God has given you in the church. Dear friends, dear Honeywood, Baptist, for us to be a healthy church, for us to be healthy Christians, we need godly leaders. Why? As go the leaders, so go the people. And so this morning, I want us to—I want to encourage us to to apply ourselves to this passage, to see what God wants us to see, so that we can uh, be a healthy church, that we can follow God's pattern for the church. And so this morning, three things I want you to see from this text: the call, the character, and the concern of elders. Firstly, the call of elders. I want you to see the call of. Elders. There you go. First one, look at verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Uh, We need to firstly notice that the word overseer in the Bible is, is synonymous with the word elder. And pastor, there there is no idea in the Bible of a three tiered structure where you have a, a eldership or overseers, a, a presbyter, an executive, and then pastors and then deacons. No, no, overseer, elder, pastor; these are referring to the same position, the same office. Uh, there are a few passages we can uh, cite, but let's consider just one passage this morning: First Peter chapter. 5. This thing's not working this morning. Thank you. Um, Peter says this, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. That word for elder is presbyteros in the Greek. It ultimately refers to someone who is well-respected and mature in the faith. But notice how Peter carries on. Verse 3 says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Uh, that word shepherd is the word we get pastor from. It's the Greek point, it ultimately means to, to guide and, and care for and watch over with care. I think of how a shepherd cares for, leads, protects, and feeds his sheep. Well, that's the job of a pastor in the church. But then notice what else Peter says. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Again, that word for oversight is, is from that is the word we get overseer from. It's the Greek episcope. It means to watch over again and, and care. And so what we must see is that all three of these terms, elder, pastor, overseer, they're referring to the same office, the same position. You could even look at it this way. The word elder speaks of the dignity of this office. Who is an elder? He's someone who's mature. He's someone who is a believer in Christ, who has walked with Christ to maturity. And the words pastor and overseer speak really of the duty of this office. What does an elder do? Well, he cares for the church. He watches over and protects and leads the church. So you need to see that those three words are referring to the same office. Now, to get back to Paul's point, Paul is saying an elder, a pastor, an overseer is first and foremost someone who aspires to this office. It is someone who feels called by God to do this work. Now, why do I use that word called? Well, because of what Paul says in Acts 20 verse 28. Listen to what Paul says. Do you remember how he exhorted the elders in Ephesus? Look at what he says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Realize a true aspiration for eldership starts with the Holy Spirit. It starts by the Spirit calling a man to this position with this desire to care for God's church. And note, the Holy Spirit doesn't call people who desire eldership for the sake of their own position, their own power, their own prestige. That's unfortunately what we see so much of in the modern day church men building their own kingdoms, their own desire, after their own desires. No, the Holy Spirit calls men to desire eldership for the sake of the church, for the well-being and the care of God's people, the people that He's purchased with His precious blood. I'm no model elder, let me assure you of that. But when I felt called to ministry, one of the things that that fell into place that that helped me know that I was on the right track and not going after my own ideas, one of the things that really fell into place was this conviction to serve God's people. Uh, As some of you know, I was a a graphic designer in an agency, and our agency focused a lot on the Jewish community. I I often sat with Jewish rabbis and business leaders uh, trying to improve their product market, and this is their product, their plans, their people. And I was convicted by this, that for hours on end, I would spend serving that community. And it bothered me. Shouldn't I be serving God's people, God's body, God's church? Again, I'm not putting myself forward here as a picture of the perfect elder. I'm not saying that every elder should desire full-time ministry. But I want you to see this point, that at the heart of this calling is a desire to care for God's people. To serve them, not self. Know this, don't forget this, the dignity of this office lies not in the position of this office. No, the dignity lies in the duty of this office, which is caring for God's people. That's why Paul says the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Or say differently, he desires a good and beautiful work. And notice, Paul starts with an incentive here. He starts with a motive. It should be a privilege and a joy to be an elder, to be an overseer, to be a pastor. It should be a privilege and a joy to care for God's people. Now, if we understood that, if we understood how good and noble this task is, I think two things will happen, and here's the the twofold application for us this morning. Firstly, for my fellow elder here, if we understood how noble this work is, then we would do this work with sincerity, and we would do this work cautiously. Why? Why? because we're called by God. We are called by Him to give, and we will have to give an account to Him. And let me tell you, when, when this task gets difficult and, and it's not easy shepherding sheep, it's not easy, it's not all uh, fun and games when it gets difficult, it is this call that keeps you going. It is this call that allows you to persevere because you're giving account to God. You're serving Him, you've been called by him. And so even for those who are aspiring to, to ministry, to eldership, you need to be sure of this call. But he's the one who set you aside for this. But the other implication for the church, for the church member, or for the Christian is this, if you understood how noble this work is, then you would follow and support and pray for your elders. Why? Because God has called them to care for you. God has set men apart to care for your soul. He set them apart to seek your advantage. They're not there for themselves. They're here for you. And so if God has done this, support. Pray for your elders. Care for them. Encourage them. Pray for them. Both of these implications are clear in Hebrews 13 verse 17. The writer says this, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Elder, that's what you're called to do, as those who will have to give an account to God. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Did you see how significant this is, how significant and important this call is? And so that's the first thing I want you to see this morning, the call of elders, which is to care for the church. And that is tremendous implication if you're an elder and tremendous implications if you're a Christian. The second thing I want you to see this morning is, is the character of elders. From verse 2 to 7, Paul actually lists 14 qualifications. Some commentators group these together into smaller units. And unfortunately for you, I want to look at each 14 of them. Yes, you heard that right. I've got 14 sub points. So if you're taking notes, prepare, let loose your hand, take a breath. This is going to be a long one. Paul starts first and foremost by listing the positive characteristics. He says, firstly, an elder is above reproach. Now, now that doesn't mean an elder is perfect. doesn't mean he's, he's Jesus, right? No, elder is, but it does mean that he is someone who is godly, someone who has integrity. In particular, he is someone who is free from scandalous sins, sins that, that bring shame to him and the church. Now, perhaps some would bring accusations against elders, and, and you're supposed to criticize elders if they're m- m- messing up. But Paul's point here is that no accusation should stick. An elder should be above reproach. I Think, think of Jesus. The religious leaders accused him of, of much, yet none of them stuck. Why? Because he was above reproach. In fact, Paul starts with this qualification because this is, seems to be the, the central qualification, the, the one that is listed first, and, and what it means to be above reproach is teased out from this point onwards. Secondly, an elder is faithful. When Paul says an elder must be the husband of one wife, he doesn't mean an elder has to be married, nor does he mean that an elder can't be remarried. That's what some believe. But the text doesn't say anything to that point. Instead, the point of the text, quite literally in the Greek, is that an elder is a one woman. That's what the Greek says literally. Why phrase it that way? Well, because Paul's point is that an elder is faithful. He is loyal to his wife. He is devoted. And surely we can understand why that matters. If he cannot be faithful to his wife, how can he be faithful to the bride of Christ? So an elder is faithful. Thirdly, an elder elder is sober-minded. Now, some translations say he's temperate or or restrained or self-controlled, but it's best to understand that as referring to mental sobriety. He's a clear-headed man. He's not a scatterbrain. The idea is this. An elder must be able to think clearly and spiritually. He, He must not be confused, but he must have his priorities straight. Why? So that he can make clear and sober decisions. Again, think of Jesus, think of how he lived, think of his, his prayer life, how he focused his life in obedience to God, how he knew what his purpose is. He, he was sober-minded and so too must the elder be, following the right priorities in life. Uh, the next qualification is similar. Fourthly, an elder is self-controlled. That is to say he must be sensible and, and prudent, not impulsive. Not only must he be sober-minded that he think clearly, but he must have the ability to, to curb his desires. He must be able to restrain the impulses of his mind. He, he doesn't just go about with any idea that pops in his head. He doesn't just act on a random whim and behave impulsively. Instead, he's someone who is prudent and sensible i.e. self-controlled. Fifthly, an elder is respectable, and again, again, this is related to the previous two. If he is sober-minded and if he is self-controlled, then he will be respectable. Why? How so? Because you will live a well-ordered and dignified life. That's what the Greek word there means. It means to be orderly, and Paul's reasoning seems to be this. Right thinking leads to right living. See, an elder is one who stands above reproach because he thinks rightly with the right priorities and orders his life rightly. But, but realize, an elder isn't just in his mind all the time and he isn't just all focused on his orderly life. No, he, he shares his life. That's why, sixthly, an elder is hospitable. An elder must be open must open his home and his life to others. He intentionally gets to know people. He, he builds relationships. The Greek, Greek word literally says there he's a friend to strangers. It implies a, a friendliness that, that welcomes. It implies a, a selflessness that seeks the other. Now, it doesn't mean that an elder has to be an introvert. I know the introverts like me struggle with this, but it does mean that he has to have an open heart, and an open home. He must intentionally seek this out. Again, think of Jesus, how he invited people to himself people who were strangers, people who were unwelcome, people who were cast out. He welcomed them. And so it must be with a true, called, and qualified elder. Seventhly, and this is the one that stands out and distinguishes an elder from a deacon, is that he is a teacher. An elder who invites others close and builds relationships should aim to communicate truth in those relationships. Whether it's from the pulpit or whether in a Bible study or personal discussions, an elder seeks to lead others with sound doctrine that shapes life. Titus 1, nine is helpful here. Paul says that an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. So an elder must embrace and understand sound theology. Why? So that he can, one, lead people to right thinking, and two, lead people away from wrong living. He's a teacher who knows the word, who knows God, who has a theology that shapes life. But after these positive characteristics, uh, Paul stresses four negative ones from verse three, uh, and even these, although uh, communicating, uh, stated negatively, communicate positive traits. And so, uh, eighthly, an elder is disciplined. Paul says an elder must not be a junkard, that is, he must not be carried away by any excess or any addiction. Instead, he is to be careful. He is to be disciplined. He, is, he should be able to, to buffet his desires, his mind, his body. He should be led by the Spirit, not by addiction. See, an elder who, who doesn't give in to, over excess will also be, ninthly, gentle, Paul says an elder is not violent. He's not carried away by by fits of anger. And the idea to this is this. He's not a bully. He's not a pugnacious person who attacks others. No, far from it, a a true elder called by God is kind and and patient and and gentle. He turns the other cheek. Who does that make you think of? Christ, right? The one who is gentle and lowly. A uh, Closely tied to this is the fact that, tenthly, an elder is a peacemaker. Instead of being quarrelsome and divisive, instead of being contentious over every matter, instead of being a source of division in the church and among Christians, an elder called by God reconciles. An elder called by God restores, he, he reunites. Uh, Warren Risby once put it this way, pastors should be peacemakers, not troublemakers. Unfortunately, that's not always true. We need to remember Jesus' words, how he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. And so an elder follows Christ. And he's a peacemaker. Eleventhly, an elder is content. Paul warns that an elder must not be a lover of money. That is, he's not to be greedy for gain, as Titus one seven says. He is to be not to be a shepherd for sh- for shameful gain, as First Peter five two warns. Fundamentally, he, he's not to be carried away by desire for more. But he's content in all things. See, far from being captivated by the desire of worldly treasures, a true called elder is captivated by serving Christ. An elder will say with Paul in Philippians, I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Why? Because Christ is sufficient. And so an elder is one who is content. Uh, from verse 4 onwards, notice that, that Paul moves and he gives three last uh, three more qualifications, and here he places them into life situations. That's important because it's in these life situations that an elder will show himself that he's ready to be an elder. So 12, an elder is a leader. And they used to say he, he's proven himself by leading his family. He, he leads his family with dignity. His children are submissive. Again, the point isn't, the, isn't that he must have a family, No, the point is rather that he's proven himself to be a leader. He's proven himself as one who who manages well and cares well. Notice verse 5 and notice how those words marriage and care, manage and care are used. If someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Uh, Both of those words point out that an elder proves himself in watching over and guiding his family by leading spiritually, and in so doing, proves himself ready for the office. Third, thirteenthly, thirteenthly, an elder is mature. That is to say, he's not a recent convert. Uh, This qualification, again, isn't so much about your age, but your maturity. Uh, Listen to Benjamin Merkel. He makes a helpful comment on this. He says this, A new convert does not truly understand his own weakness and, and the temptation that will ensnare him. As a result, he is more vulnerable to pride that will lead to the destruction, to his destruction. Time is therefore needed to let the new believer mature in his faith and gain the respect of others through faithful service in lesser roles. Another way to say that is that an aspiring elder should first prove himself by being faithful and mature in the small things, long before he is appointed to the high calling of the office. <sighs> Lastly, fourteenthly, an elder is reputable. That is to say an elder must be well thought of by outsiders. An elder must be highly esteemed by a watching world. And realize, dear believer, you are being watched by this world. Coworkers, neighbors, family see more of you than we see of one another on a Sunday. And therefore, an elder called by God will be respected and esteemed by outsiders because in those relationships, in those areas, he lives blamelessly and uprightly before others. See, if an elder never pays his bills on time, if, if he always grumbles and complains, if he looks down upon others and, and excludes them and removes himself, then outsiders won't just despise him, they'll despise the church. See, quite fittingly, Paul ends where he started by saying that the elder must be above reproach. Inside the church and outside the church, he must be a man of character, a man of integrity, a man of Christ-likeness. Now, take a breath. Those are a lot of qualifications. Thank you, Duncan, for taking that breath. What you must see is that even, these, even though these qualifications are plentiful, none of these qualifications are out of the ordinary for, for, for normal Christians. There's actually a a refreshing ordinariness about these qualifications. Because almost every single one of these is mandatory for every Christian. Tell me, which Christian isn't called to be above reproach? Which Christian isn't called to be self-controlled and respectable and gentle and content? Yes, not all Christians are, are called to teach, but each is to have an understanding of the truth. And the point I want you to see is this, an elder isn't a super saint. He's not this holier-than-thou saint who is far above you and beyond you, whose character and qualities are unattainable by you. No, an elder is a normal Christian like you, but he's further down the road than you. And here's what you must see. God calls these men, ordinary men, who are further along the road so that they can care for you, help you, and lead you on in your own walk with Christ. Listen to Calvin on this. He preached five sermons on this text. Don't worry, I'm not there. Calvin said this, God requires holiness of life and a good example in all who preach His word so that others might follow their lead. The preacher, or we would say the elder, must give good proof that he is serious and that he so reviews the word that he will be the first to obey it. His intention then is to show that he does not expound the word for others to follow, but that it is for everyone, himself included, and that obedience begins with him. What's Calvin's point? It's this, elders are called by God as examples to follow in the church. Uh, consider with me two passages very quickly that explain this. Firstly, we've already read it, but read again first Peter chapter two, chapter five, verse two. Says the shepherd, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but by being examples to the flock. Dear friends, it's important for me to to note here that elders don't rule, they lead. Uh, That's a fine distinction that we've made here at Honeyridge. And if I may speak on behalf of the elders, let me say this. We believe that our position calls us to lead by example as servants of Christ, not as tyrants who domineer. In fact, let me put it this way. Listen to follow, and imitate your elders only so far as they listen to follow and imitate Christ. Please, please do not listen to follow or imitate your elders just because they say so or just because they have that position. No, that's how elder ruled churches work, not elder led churches. And so we need to see elders lead by example. Look consider also, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13. Listen to what is expected and to what end pastors and elders work toward. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, not all of those are offices in the church. They're gifts. But notice what the purpose of the shepherds are. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you hear what Paul is saying? One of the means through which Christ fashions his church more and more into his image is through elders. And pastors and overseers. Dear church, that's why eldership matters. For our own health as a church, for our own growth into Christ, called and qualified leaders are necessary. Why? Because as under shepherds of Christ, called and qualified by Christ, they're meant to lead us more and more to Christ. Again, a twofold application for us. For my fellow elder here, are you a worthy example of Christ? Are you growing in Christ so that others would follow Christ in you? Are you above reproach and respectable? Are you free from scandalous sin or are you entertaining scandalous sin secretly? Are you marked by growing faithfulness to your wife? Are you leading your home well or have you become slack? Are you inviting people near? Are you opening your home? Are you building relationships? Are you growing in your theological knowledge so that you can teach meaningfully? That is to say, are you worthy of imitation? Remember what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Dear fellow elders, that's something that is true of you. Are you following Christ so that others would follow Christ? But secondly, for the Christian here, remember, these qualities are for every single Christian. And so the question is, are you evidencing these qualities? Are you displaying a similar Christ-likeness? Are you sober-minded and, as you think through your Christianity? Are you self-controlled and disciplined as you walk with God? Are you growing in maturity or are you still a spiritual infant? Are you a peacemaker or a troublemaker? Are you looked on with favor by outsiders? Is that you? And if not, what must you do? Well, one thing you must do is, is repent and ask God to help you. But another thing you must do is look to your elders, turn to them for help. Listen to Hebrews thirteen seven. Remember your, elders, your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their faith their way of life, and imitate their faith. Allow me to speak for every single elder here tonight or this morning. If you are concerned about your spiritual growth, if you're concerned about your your lack of spiritual growth, if you want to become more like Jesus, we would love to help you. We'd love to come alongside you with God's word to encourage you to, to walk with you in your faith. Please make use of your elders. Please make use of the leaders in the church. And even for unbelievers, I don't want to forget about you. This world will give you so many false guides, so many false errors. You realize God has provided shepherds for your soul. God has provided you means and make use of the means that God has given. Come speak to us. Bring your concerns, bring your needs, we are here to care for the church, to care for those called by God. And so I want you to see in the second place then that the character of elders. Thirdly and finally, I want you to see the concern for, of elders, the concern of elders. As many have pointed out in 1 Timothy uh, 3, Paul spends more time on who elders are than what they do. But that doesn't mean what they do is unimportant. Even from our text, we can see some of the functions of an elder. An elder must manage, right? He must oversee and govern the church. An elder must shepherd. He must care for the well-being of the church. He must teach. He must counsel from God's Word. He must set an example. Now, we could spend an entire another sermon just on those. But one thing beyond those functions that we must see is that there is one central concern that ought to motivate and move an elder, and that concern is the gospel. Must, we must not forget the context of what Paul says here. Remember how Paul starts this section. Uh, look at First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. First of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high places. Now, why must we pray? Why must we pray for our leaders? Well, he says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Again, but the question is, why? Why must we desire a quiet, dignified life? Listen, he says, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of, of the truth. See, in Paul's mind, what is this knowledge of the truth? It's the knowledge of the gospel. It's the good news that God has provided a Savior to save, right? Look at verse 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So that's how Paul starts the section. He emphasizes the gospel, the good news, that there's one mediator for sinful man. But again, how does he end the section? Again, by emphasizing the gospel. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Tell me, what's the truth he's speaking about? Listen to what he says. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Again, the question is, what is that mystery? It's the gospel. He says, and he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. You see, Paul there is summarizing the gospel. See, see, from beginning to end, Paul is concerned in the section with the gospel, which has tremendous implications for everything we've looked at. If men do not pray, if women are not modest and godly, if men and women do not fulfill their roles in the church, if elders and deacons are not above reproach, Paul's argument seems to be this. You bring the gospel into disrepute. You de the church. In fact, I would argue that's why Paul starts this saying by saying, the saying is trustworthy. Every time Paul uses that phrase five times in his letters, that relates to the, our salvation, to the gospel. And I would argue Paul uses that saying here because the elders are entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. More than anyone, perhaps, an elder should know and share and grow in the gospel. He should know that if it was not for Christ dying on that tree, I'm lost. If it was not for Christ giving himself for sinners like us, we have no hope. And the elder, therefore, grows in his knowledge of Christ. Why? So that he can share the knowledge of Christ that others would come to know and see that there is one hope for fallen mankind. That's the one mediator. And again, twofold application. For my fellow elder here, keep the gospel front and center. When you teach, teach the gospel and all its implications for life. When you serve the church, shepherd to the church to know and grow and, and share the gospel, that's our vision as a church. When you live life before others, share the gospel and adorn it with godliness. And when you fall, and you fall short and you sin and you will, run to the gospel. Go to Christ for forgiveness. And even in that asking forgiveness, you display the power of the gospel. But for the Christian here, the same exhortation is yours. Keep the gospel front and center. Choose and raise up elders who love the gospel. Pray for elders to rightly apply the gospel in your life, in the life of the church. Support and encourage elders in gospel work and yes, even listen to and follow and imitate elders as they beautify the gospel in the church. The the church may suggest to you that the church is beautified, is made splendorous when elders and deacons and members are united in and work together for the gospel. And, And so therefore, let us keep the gospel front and center so that we contend for the gospel in this fallen world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do have to come before you this morning and confess personally and perhaps even for my fellow elders that we often fall short of your high standards. And we pray that you'd help us to recognize and see our failures, but also recognize and see your sufficiency. Would you not make us as an eldership holy and upright and above reproach? Would you not help us to be reminded of the dignified office that we have to care for your people, to care for your saints, to love them who have been purchased by our beloved Savior. Do not help us in this. Forgive us where we've fallen short. You know, we, we fall short so often. And, and would you not help to build up the church, even for your people here at Honeyreach, your church members, even adherents. Would you not give us a heart for one another to see the gospel thrive in our lives, to see holiness to see Christ-likeness in Aldo and member both, so that this church, Holy Ridge Baptist Church, would be a beautiful light on this hill. So that as we've been entrusted with the gospel of grace, help us to tell others of your grace, your love, your salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. We do pray that you'd foster unity in our church that we'd be a church that loves one another, and as we serve you, you'd be glorified in us. We ask all of this because we are a needy people. Lord, we feel it. We thank you that you are able and sufficient and gracious and kind. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.